Football is so close you can taste it. The blue-white game just over a week away as we record on a Thursday afternoon on the Lions 24-7 podcast. It's just so close, and we've got some weather coming. We'll get rid of that, or we'll get through that, but we're so close to football. You can almost taste it. Penn State with, what, four more practices before that? It's going to be fun, I guess. It's a scrimmage. You can't take too much from it, but it's going to be fun. I'm Sean Fitz. He's Tyler Donahue. I just, I'm, I'm all out of sorts here, man. I just, I want to see some football. I'm tired of just talking to myself and talking to you about it. It's just, it's so close, man. And this, the tricky thing about these spring games is it's such a tease because you wake up that that Sunday and you realize, oh well, we've still got about five months until real football, but. Yeah, I'm with you. It, it's going to be nice. The, the weather's warming up in Happy Valley, and, and uh, tailgating uh, will be back in Happy Valley and all that good stuff. So uh, glorified scrimmage, practice or not, um, it's a notable event, and we're getting pretty darn close all of a sudden. I think, what, Max Kippenhammer had two touchdowns last year. I can remember game, a game where Shawnee Kersey caught two touchdowns from Paul Jones. Just the, the memories never stop when you're talking about the blue-white game, and it's obviously something that we're going to overanalyze for the next six months. So probably, or I guess probably four months, probably going to have to deal with it. But anyway, Penn State practices on Saturday. That's supposed to be in Beaver Stadium, but with weather coming through on Friday, you're not sure if that's going to happen. Then they go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, back at it for blue-white on Saturday. And Tommy Stevens is back in practice, uh, not doing a ton. James Franklin said earlier this week that Tommy's been mostly limited to skeleton stuff. You know, that's obviously non-contact as a quarterback regardless, but still not putting too much pressure on him, uh, still coming off of that injury. But uh, we, we got to talk to him this week, and, and you and Mark Brennan were over there uh, talking to him a little bit. He does not like the injury-prone uh, label that's been put on, come on him. And it's uh, last spring, he missed all spring with a foot injury. This, uh, this fall seemed like he was back into being himself and then had another injury and had surgery. But, you know, he's just, he's not feeling it. I guess I've kind of been um, bothered by um, the whole, like, injury-prone, yeah. like, stigma, I guess you could say. Um, I mean, up until, you know, this point last year, never missed a practice in high school. I mean, never missed anything. Um, played a lot. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that durability is an issue. I guess it was just never really fixed the right way in the first time. So um, it was fixed right this time. I'm glad it was fixed right. And I guess I'm ready to prove my uh, uh, my, my durability, my worth. So um, I'm excited, excited to do that because, and like I said, I don't want to make it seem like I don't understand. I get it. I get why people think that. And so um, I guess we'll see. So clearly Tommy Stevens sounds like a quarterback betting on himself in 2019. Um, and he makes a great point. This is an isolated situation. It, it's a, it's not really separate medical issues that keep popping up from what we understand. You know, Tommy's saying uh, you know, it wasn't repaired correctly initially. It had to be you know, revisited. And, and the second time was the charm. He feels good about where that, that recovery is. So you know, it, it is hard to say that you know, Tommy Stevens is, is definitely not a durable quarterback because he missed 2018. Um, you know, it, it, it happened. It, it was a huge lapse in his career. And I think, you know, an opportunity to be on the field for those reps in practice and who knows what maybe could have uh, done during the season as a healthy Tommy Stevens. Uh, but right now, I think, you know, he's got the right mindset um, and there's going to be that doubt on, on Tommy Stevens. Now, until we actually see him go out there and, and, and start games and consecutively, you know, people are going to wonder um, if he's up to the task. But I think that goes for anyone on the roster. Sean Clifford, you know, right now is, is getting a lot of love and, and rightfully so. But it's kind of that love that Tommy Stevens saw because a lot of people are envisioning Stevens as a starting quarterback. Everyone knows fan favorites, always that number two quarterback. Uh, so I think it's going to be interesting to, to see people. But I think Stevens knows he has to prove people wrong in order to prove himself right, uh, but he's got the right I think there's merit to, to being concerned about that, and, and I have no problem with that, but it, it, it almost seems like people are expecting it as an inevitability that he's going to get hurt at some point, and I, I just don't see that. I think he's absolutely right in terms of, you know, he's, he's never really been injured before this, and, you know, there's, there's always that concern. Did it heal right? Is he going to have the right rehab? Is he going to be able to take care of things in that manner? And, and spring reps are, are great, and he, he, you know, he's really missing out on these spring reps. There's no, there's no debating that but um yeah it's not to be all end all of his career you know i think it's uh, it's not going to make or break his season whether he's not in there you'd love to have him take those all those first team reps but him not being there doesn't necessarily ruin his season i think what's really interesting is since ricky ronnie took over as offensive coordinator following the 2017 season you know him and stevens have had a ton of time together 
uh, but not necessarily in the way you'd want to be out there on the practice field and, and, and building that kind of relationship. I know it's been a lot of mental reps for Tommy, you know, him standing alongside Coach Ronnie and, or Coach Franklin at times and, and kind of you know seeing the bigger picture from the sideline. Hasn't been as much opportunity with him missing spring camp last year, much of summer camp, all of September, uh, December practices. You know, that, that's a sizable chunk of time where he would have shared the practice field with Ricky Ronnie as an extension of the coaching staff out there, actually slinging the ball around, moving around. But I will say, Stevens looks like he's in good shape. You know, he, he looks like he, he's uh, physically where he needs to be, moving around, don't see any kind of limp. Uh, you know, he looks like, you know, he's just doing his best to stay patient with the process because the last thing they want to do is jeopardize uh, forward momentum in this recovery going into the summer because that's where this thing's really going to get sorted out. You know, as he said, there's only one uh, you know, football game in, in, in April and it's the spring game. He missed it last year. Uh, I'm sure he'd love to be out there. Uh, but, but you know, moving forward, you have to prioritize the 2019 season. And uh, what does that mean? It, it means just uh, the door stays open for Sean Clifford to do whatever he can right now to put himself in a position uh, to really gain the trust of this staff. And so they do feel confident that, you know, they can make a decision to go with him if they need to. But you still get the sense that, that Tommy Stevens, if healthy, you know, he's going to be the guy on the first team. But I think it's almost a disservice to, to Clifford at this point, considering the major chunk of time on the field that Tommy has missed and while he's been out there getting those reps. I agree. I agree. And I, I don't, like I said, I, I don't think it's the be all, be, and I, I, you know what, I can't say it. So we're going to skip that part. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think it's the it's, it's the worst thing that could happen for Tommy. Obviously, you want to get him healthy. I feel the same kind of about Shane Shane Simmons on the other side of the ball. Is you, you know you're better served getting healthy than going out there at eighty percent, going out and, and re-injuring yourself. So we'll see what happens with those guys. We also got uh, Jaywan Sider last night at practice to talk to him. It's always a pleasure to speak to him because you know he's going to talk a little recruiting within the rules and he's going to talk about the, his guys and and Ricky Slade and Jerry. Brown, as we've said all spring, kind of separated themselves from the rest of the crowd. Uh, Cider was very complimentary of those guys in terms of you know what they've been able to do in the last couple of months to take over from Miles Sanders to assume that number one, number two role. Still not a lot of separation between the two, and I really don't expect to see the separation between the two, even though Cider's always been more of a one-back uh, kind of guy. But the way that the game goes, we'll, we'll see what happens with those guys. But you know what you're getting with those guys. You've got electric speed. Uh, I think Sider called it game-changing speed uh, with both of those guys. But still coming along, still working on the, the finer things. Pass protection is the number one thing that these coaches turn to every time you ask them what they need to do to separate themselves. And I think they're coming along in that regard. But at the same time, I mean, it's uh, it, it's going to come down to who can move the sticks. And, and you know, Right now, I would tend to lead uh, tend to lean Slade. Uh, you know, I've been talking a lot about Journey Brown this spring, but Slade's got so much more experience. Brown is a guy that uh, you know could could have used a little bit more, but uh, the light seems to go on there. So I think they've got two good options before that gap when you get to the number three guy, Noah Kane. Yeah, very clearly excitement coming from Cider uh, on Wednesday evening. But it was a tempered excitement. I think you know he's very realistic. You know, until these guys go out there and do it in game action, it's all hypotheticals, and and, and it's it's nice to see them putting the work on the practice field and the competition. But I think he, he is very aware that that when those lights come on, he talked about it last year actually. How Ricky Slade, a couple of fumbles on the road at Pittsburgh, that sloppy second half. Um, you know, the weather was was tearing the field up, uh, and he he mentioned that being kind of a deer in the headlights moment for Ricky Slade. But he talked about the importance of going through that when he did it. So here he is now in year number two. You've gotten some of those jitters out of the way. I think when I look at these two guys, that's kind of what separates them. I think they're both very, very you know, scintillating talents. Uh, Ricky Slade, more of a polished running back coming to campus than Journey Brown was. I don't think that's any secret. Uh, but at this stage, uh, just because Ricky Slade has gone through some of those trials and tribulations in game action, really like the way he rebounded, finished last year, nice showing against Maryland in the regular season finale. Uh, they just seemed uh, intent on getting him more involved as the season closed out. So I think the momentum's in his favor. But right now, yeah, you certainly wouldn't declare uh, one of these guys as, as the prohibitive favorite. At least I would not. Uh, but there's a clear separation uh, between them and everybody else. Noah Kane, we'll get to him in a moment, making some positive moves as well. But those two guys, um, you know, a lot of speed, a lot of potential. Uh, but much like Miles Sanders last year, you know, you're looking at, you know, 
the, what you've heard about in the past, what the coaches are telling you happened in the practice field. But I think a lot of people wouldn't put two feet on that Miles Sanders bandwagon until they saw him out there against App State or running for 200 yards in September against Illinois. That's where this is going to really be the proving ground for these players. Uh, but uh, you know, early returns from Sider. Really positive. interesting from Sider last night. He, he was asked about the passing game and using the running backs in the passing game. And I think that's been a big gripe for a lot of Penn State fans, and I think rightfully so. Uh, he kind of pinned that on Penn State being a one-back team last year. Miles Sanders, they didn't want to wear him out too much with uh, in the passing game, running routes, and and you know he, he couldn't afford to take him off the field. If you know, it was one thing uh, two years ago when you had Barkley running a wheel route, you could pull him right off the field in the next play and put Sanders in. I don't think they had that confidence with those guys last year with a two back uh, maybe a two back approach this year with Slade and Brown you might see a little bit more of that uh certainly not promising that because I, as you know the fans have said and I I agreed with I mean you, you'd really like to see more in the running back uh, in the passing game but uh, thought that was interesting another interesting thing said Noah Kane's going to play this year and that's uh you know not not specifically uh, out of out of nowhere. I mean, Noah Kane. You look at the depth chart. He's the third guy right now. You're you're going to play three or four backs, and Kane is a different type of back than Brown and Slade. He's he's a guy that can probably move the pile a little bit more. He's he's a little bit more compact. Uh, you know, just a ball of muscle more so than the other guys, which are skinnier, faster, twitchier athletes. So different kind of back. But he says he's going to play right away. I'm interested to see what this young guy can do. Yeah, Sider's known Kane for several years now. I mean, this is a guy that, that he recruited uh, with the Florida Gators, and, and this was one of his earliest priorities upon getting to Penn State. It was presenting Kane with that Penn State offer, and, and who really knew at that time, uh, you know, last January, that he would end up on, on campus. Uh, quite the recruitment, but at 5'10", 209 pounds, you know, the word on Kane has been, you know, physically, you know, physically came prepared to compete at the college football level, uh, you know, can hold himself uh, to a high standard in that regard. And also, we've heard a lot of good things about his mentality. Uh, I think Franklin used the, the phrase old soul when describing Noah Kane and his approach to day-to-day -day, uh, responsibilities. And, and what we got yesterday, I thought was pretty funny. Sider uh, says, you know, a lot of these freshmen, and he talked about Kane being an example, you hammer it home in your own head for years and years as a top prospect that you're going to get to to a campus and go be a big time player uh, from game number one. He says, you know, I think Kane's kind of realized that he's at Penn State. Uh, there are other really impressive running backs in this group he's got to compete with. More will be on their way. Uh, but, you know, once he had that realization, Sider said it's been all work since then. Uh, but, yeah, interesting, you know, certainly just made the statement he's going to play. We don't know if that means he'll play within those four games. Uh, it, it, you know, and that's something I don't think they'll be really telling us much about until we get into training camp and into August on, on their long-term plans for Noah Kane. But not surprised that, that he'll get his shot. Um, you know, and, and I think he's a guy who's putting a lot of work to, to put himself in a position uh, to be, uh, you know, in the rotation as a first year. I think the player. numbers dictate it. I mean, you've got uh, what was last year? You had Sanders and Mark Allen, and of course uh, Slade and Brown and. Johnny Thomas got a little bit of run here and there, not much, but uh, you know you want to have four backs ready, and that's how you kind of play into it. C.J. Holmes really haven't heard a ton. I think Franklin referenced him on Wednesday night, saying you know he's coming along, getting more mature in the program, but I don't think you can really get count on that as a go-to guy right now. Um, he's still a, a, a walk-on tech, you know. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens at that position. But you mentioned it, you touched on it. It's going to get a little bit more competitive this summer. Devin Ford's coming in the summer. Sider talked a little bit about that on Wednesday night, and he seems excited to have him. We have regular communications. Um, he got his iPad, so he can go in and watch every in install we have and every practice, and he'll hit you back with a bunch of notes. What are we doing versus this protection? What are we doing on this run? So he's a student of the game. He's naturally smart in the classroom, so he pick up things a lot faster than a lot of guys I've been around. I think he's going to challenge me well in that classroom, and I'm, I'm really excited about that because he's eager. He got a lot of Saquon mentality. Like, they don't know how good they are because they always ask you questions. How can I get better? How can I do this? And them the guys you're really excited about coaching because they never feel like they got it all. They always continue to learn. Devin Ford has always come across as a high-character kid in my interactions with him, and I think that's what you hear from you know the coaching staff. That's what you hear from his fellow uh, teammates, classmates, um, the coaching staff in North Stafford, and the and the and the the whole population there at North Stafford loves the kid. And you know he's he's somebody who didn't miss a day of school in high school until he had to take an official visit uh, last spring. And 
Um, he is going to be so bought in. I think he's already very much bought on the, on this Penn State team. Um, even though he's not in that locker room yet, he was down in Orlando at the Under Armour All-American uh, game. I got to talk to all the future Nittany Lions, and he just came across as the person who was really excited to sell that brand and the vision in an articulate way uh, more than anybody. And, and, and I know he's got high hopes for himself, and he's talked about it really dating back to, to the late stages of his recruitment when Ohio State was still there and Virginia Tech was in that mix. Um, you know, he has always said he's going to embrace that competition. Um, he said what stood out to him about Penn State from the get-go was the ability to use running backs in a variety of ways. We talked about getting them involved in the pass game. You know, I think Barkley being used on special teams stood out to Devin Ford. This is a guy who was an all-state performer on special teams, like Ricky Slade was down in Virginia as well. Um, 6,000 rushing yards, 100-plus touchdowns during his career at North Stafford. And you hear the excitement. It's not, uh, you know, what was the go-to for Sider? It wasn't all those stats. It wasn't the 40 time. It was his willingness to buy in and a guy who doesn't quite maybe realize how good he is. And that I think that's a good thing for, for someone you're bringing into mold and recreate essentially as a college player. They're clearly very excited to get Devin Ford in this group. And because of that mindset, he's a guy out of this incoming freshman group where they got 12 more scholarship freshmen coming this summer. He's one of those guys that I think has the wherewithal mentality with a strong start to put himself in position to contend for some reps this season. Agreed, and I think it's a numbers game there, but I think at the same time, the kid's a really good football player. Uh, John Harris is an assistant at uh, North Stafford. He also coached Ricky Slade at Hilton. Um, you know, he would be on every Monday or Tuesday sending me clips of Devin Ford playing defense. He was more excited about him as a defensive player, not necessarily a defensive prospect, but he was making plays on defense, returning interceptions for touchdowns and doing things like that. And it's great to see, you know, for a guy that's, uh, you know, just a, a one track position like running back where, you know, a lot of these stud high school players usually, you know, will play on one side if they're, the, if they're that special at one spot, they'll play that spot. Devin Ford was playing D-back. He was playing a little bit of linebacker as well. Um, you know, just really made an, uh, an impact on all three facets. And, you know, he was <laughs> – I was going to send him the clip the other night of, uh, of Cider that I, we just played for you. I put it out on Twitter, and he had already retweeted it. So they're excited to see him get in there. They're excited to see him uh, compete. And I do I do agree with you. I think he's got a chance to, to because of the numbers, come in and play. I think that Noah Kane enrolling early gives him a pretty good advantage. I mean, that's uh, – you know, it's not uh, – it's not to say that's not fair to Ford, but at the same time, Noah Kane, you know, embraced that opportunity and he made the impression first, and, and that could go a long way. One guy that really, uh, you know, has made a similar impression, but I don't think the numbers dictate it. Brenton Strange is a guy that James Franklin said on Wednesday night. He's a lot further along than they expected. Talked to a couple people in the program this week who kind of echoed that same thing. And this kid is going up and making plays. And he's got Pat Fryermuth and Nick Bowers ahead of him. And I think that's a solid one-two. And then a gap between the rest is kind of like running back. Uh, there's a gap between those two and then the rest of them. Um, but And he's still got Zach Koontz in front of him as well. But Strange is a guy that uh, you, know, you might see play four games this year and take a red shirt. They're really excited about the prospect of those young, uh, those young tight ends. Yeah, and, and, you know, Franklin kind of equated uh, Strange and Koontz about you know, them really needing to, you know, transform their overall game and at the position based on what they did in high school versus what they're going to be asked to do in the Big Ten. And, and Pat Fryermuth was, was ahead of the curve in that regard. We've talked about that a lot and how that helps set the stage. But speaking of Pat Fryermuth, um, you know, had a conference call with media members on Tuesday. Um, it was asked about Brenton Strange, and, and, and he, you know, said the same thing, that, that Brenton came in and has pretty quickly put it together and, and kind of su surprised that room a little bit with, with his, you know, with how he's kind of uh, learned, listened, and then, you know, gone and, and translated that onto the practice field. And very clearly, Tyler Bowen has a collective group there that you're really excited about, I think, for 2019. It, it's amazing where this position is right now versus where it was going into last year when we talked about Fryermuth maybe setting himself up as a role player and, you know, maybe you can get average production out of that position and, and that's okay. Now the sites, the, you know, the expectations are so much higher. You think you have the first team All Big Ten player. You have talked about it a lot. Nick Bowers is a guy who has the ability to, to be a tremendous number two tight end for this team and I think he'll get a lot of usage. Uh, but beyond those two, yeah, Koontz, Strange, I mean, to have those two waiting in the wings, developing, um, I don't think there's a lot of college football programs out there that can contend with what they've got going on presently, but also what they're establishing at tight end 
for 2020 and beyond. Well, it's, it's like at linebacker. I mean, you've got talent there, obviously, but you've got guys that have come in and competed right away, um, sort of taken over starting spots right away, and that depth chart has gotten a lot better, a lot faster. Of course, didn't didn't hurt that Nick Bowers is finally healthy. He's always had a lot of potential. It's just a matter of getting him, you know, get, getting him out of the training room and onto the field. So we'll see what happens uh, with that. James Franklin, high praise for this defense, um, which is isn't really a surprise. A lot of talent on that defense, and he starts with the defensive uh, the defensive line. I think uh, you know he, he you know you can take his words sometimes you know and, and you can interpret a lot of what's going on through his words, but at the same time he leaves some things open. Remember the the, the Irvin Charles thing a couple of years ago, one of the best most talented receivers he's ever had. Well, he made a statement this week. Uh, the defensive end group is probably the best defensive end group that he's had in 24 years. That's some some pretty high praise, and you add to it when Sharif Miller's off to the NFL. This is still a group that that, that could use some experience. Of course, Yitor Gross Matos is uh, as, and I think I'm on record. He's going to be an All American this year. He's, he's a phenomenal player. But on the other side, you've got Shaka Tony, you've got Daniel Joseph, Shane Simmons still banged up. So still a lot of potential here, especially in the younger ranks with Jason Awe and Adisa Isaac. But uh, that's a uh, that's some pretty lofty praise for a group that uh, struggled to stay healthy at times. Yeah, and considering you know the uncertainty that that Simmons has right now, um, you know, will he or won't he be available to be on the field for a prolonged period of time, and when will that happen? You know, for Franklin to still use that, you know, that uh, that kind of a description, the the best defensive group end group he's been around in those twenty four years. He made another pretty strong declarative statement uh, on Wednesday night too. I forgot to mention that said Tommy Stevens was as athletic as any quarterback he's been around. So. Threw a couple of those out there after the practice session that both stood He's out. Big on the nostalgia this week, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think you know one of the names you mentioned there, Jason Alway. Uh, you know, he, we, he's come up a lot in our conversations and. I'm just getting the sense that things are really rolling in the right direction for him. I think the spring game is going to be a nice chance for him to shine. Uh, it's not going to be um, anything that's indicative of, of you know if he goes out there post three sacks. Does that mean he's going to have 15 in 2019? No, I, I don't know what it means for his future, but I think it's a really great opportunity for him to go back out there in front of a pretty sizable crowd at Beaver Stadium uh, and show this coaching staff that, that he's put it together because that's the thing with Jason Away. You know, live action, a guy who's played limited football, you're asking him to, to digest a lot and then, you know, put it to form out, put it to practice out in the football field. This will be a nice step for him, I think, you know, next Saturday at that spring game, if he's able to really show that fluidity is, is coming along and, and Sean Spencer can, you know, say, okay, cross that off the list. That was a positive step. And we can go into summer thinking that Jason's really on the rise here. I think that could make a huge difference and really provide an edge asset on this defense and a weapon that maybe you didn't anticipate they would have this early. He's going into his freshman eligible season with two sacks, which you don't say very often outside <laughs> yeah. of Jabril Pepper's two-time rookie of the year in the Big Ten. Anyway, um, it, it's it, the defensive end's great, and we knew the defensive end room is talented, but I think the bigger news or the bigger comments out of this week is the defensive tackles coming along a little bit uh, quicker than anticipated. Franklin singled out Damian Barber and Judge Culpepper, two guys that we've talked about on the podcast a good bit and even more on the site at Lions 24-7. So that's that's exciting to see. I think those three guys at the top of the depth chart have, have sort of you know elevated themselves, uh, Windsor, Antonio Shelton, and P.J. Mustafer. And then I think there is that gap between Barber and Culpepper, and Fred Hansard's really not doing much right now. But if they can find four guys, maybe five guys, I think they're going to be going in the right direction. And for him to you know, give the praise that he gave and, and, and sure we're talking spring and sure we're talking about a position that, you know, has has seen more holes in recruiting than than most other ones. But still it, it was good to hear some positive things about those guys. Yeah, and Antonio Shelton, who by the way is is just a great, great interview. Any oh, anytime fantastic. we chance, yeah. anytime we get a chance to interact with Antonio, it, it's it it's really it's it's a good conversation. And that happened this week um, on Tuesday. And you know, he said, you know, he's a motivated motivated individual on his own, but he sounds like this is a collective group at defensive line. Who knows? It's going to start and end with them. Uh, this defense has a ton of potential, but unless they do their jobs, it's going to expose some things behind them. And and, and James Franklin, Brent Pry. You know, Franklin's saying they've talked about, you know, how much they'll be counting on this defensive group and, and where they feel it's going. I think it is important, you know, that we talked about it. When Franklin says stuff like that about personnel, that, that a position group's ahead of where they thought it would be or a specific player is ahead of where they thought he would be, you know, that's something that I think he, he's not just throwing out there to, to you know, fill space in the air. 
it's really, I think, notable, and, and the track record since I've been on the beat usually indicates that comes to fruition down the line. So outside, outside the, the offensive line, but we won't. <laughs> well, I think with, I think with this group, though, um, you know, Mustafer, I think, is a major X factor because he's a guy super excited about coming to campus. I thought by the end of the year, he looked like he could vie for that starting job, um, and, and he's going to push Antonio Shelton to the limit. I think one guy we're not talking about a lot in terms of returning players. Uh, Robert Windsor. I mean, I, I've said this. Maybe it might have been just the last podcast, but he finished his Big Ten uh, schedule, I think, last year on a really high note. And obviously, much of that can probably be attributed to the fact he was playing against one of the most up and coming defensive linemen in in college football and, and Gross Matos. But I really like where he's at, and I think overall this group. Uh, a name that keeps popping up as, as we continue to, you know, Judge Culpepper and, and you mentioned Damian Barber, name that we've heard kind of consistently from everybody, Shaka Tony. Again, Antonio Shelton brought his name up, uh, and, uh, said he's a guy who has taken a big leap during the offseason. He expects big things from him. And again, remember, Shaka Tony was the first name out of the mouth of Sharif Miller a couple weeks ago when he was asked who's going to take his job. So, a lot of positive buzz right now trending uh, for Shaka Tony, one of those really important you know, fourth-year players you've got coming up on the redshirt junior season at the position. And the overreactions in full uh, full gear for Shaka Tony's weight. Uh, people say he's too thin. Uh, you know, I don't know that you need him out there as a three-down defensive end, but still, I mean, I think he's come a long, uh, a long way as an all-around player. He's a better player than I think a lot of people will want to give credit for, and we'll see what he can do in a more full-time role this year. On the other side, Justin Shorter is apparently too big. Uh, James Franklin kind of joked around a little bit about it, and, and of course the overreactions were out to play. Um, you know, he, I think he said he's a cheeseburger short of 250 or something like that. He's about 230 pounds. He's a big kid. I mean, he's 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 sitting that similar to uh, the Juwan Johnson and Irvin Charles mold, where you're six four, six four and a half, and it, that's a lot of weight, or excuse me, a lot of a lot of. Uh, room to fill out and, and be weight. He still has some things to adjust to, uh, like playing at uh, at full speed at the top of his routes, improving his uh, you know his route running as a whole. He, he's still coming along. I think he's coming along in a pretty good clip, and I don't think that uh, they want to put too much on him at one time. Obviously, you've got KJ Hamler and, and Jahan Dotson as the two guys in that in that mix. But if Shorter came out and started the first game of the season against Idaho, I would not be surprised at all. Yeah, and, and James Franklin, I think, has done a nice job, you know, pumping the brakes is probably too extreme, but but may, maybe just maintaining, uh, you know, kind of like let Justin develop, we're, we're waiting and seeing with him. There hasn't been any big declarative statements about Justin Shorter, you know, going to take a huge step in 2019. So I think, you know, Franklin has talked about this before, when guys come to campus with that five-star label or, or a top 100 overall prospect, you know, fair or not, there's going to be more pressure on them. People back in their hometowns are going to be wondering why they're not playing right away. Fans are going to be wondering why they're not playing right away. We know part of that last year was was a, an injury setback coming out of training camp. But I think right now with Justin Shorter, the question is, in 2019, will he be able to get that separation downfield? You know, that, that's the thing. Will the wiggle be there? Because he's got that frame. He can make those contested catches. Uh, we've seen that time and time again from him. Um, but I think with him in this Penn State uh, you know, offense in 2019, can you count on him uh, to be able to get that separation? Because I think that was kind of lacking in, in what we saw from him toward the tail end of last season. And I think it's important to remember as well for as, as impressive he was on, on the camp circuit, and, and that was a big reason why he skyrocketed, you know, I think, 140 s- spots in composite rankings, ended up the number one receiver recruit in 2018. He's a guy who played in, in a very run-dominant uh, offensive attack at South Brunswick High School in New Jersey. So, uh, that's a big leap. Uh, you know, a lot more asked of you in terms of route tree uh, and, and concept. And, and I think, you know, KJ Hamler talked about it before. If he can, if he can get to the point where he can come off of that, come out of that break and gain that separation, there's not really a lot of people who can handle Justin Shorter, but until he does that, you know, I think you do have to be careful in, in setting the, the expectations too high for 2019. I think what you're looking at right now for Justin Shorter you know, a guy that can get involved in that rotation, really gain the confidence. And I think once he does that, you could see him really progress quickly. That, that's that's what he's missing. He's just missing the reps out there in the game, feel himself, kind of reminds you, hey, I can play this game at a high level. I can do it outside of the practice field. Um, and, you know, again, that's something that we won't learn until September. 
But I do appreciate the way Franklin is kind of bringing this this kid along uh, without really, you know, thrusting him out there as, as, as a name on the rise or anything like that. Because trust me, our, in our media scrums, Justin Shorter is a very popular topic of conversation very often because we at Lions 24-7 are, are inquiring about him. have been saying it the, the last couple of months. It's, it's, it's mental. I mean, it's not, uh, it's not anything. I mean, it's not, he's not slow. He's not, you know, he's not, uh, you know struggling to pick up the offense but he's got to be the guy that goes out there and is that number one receiver jared parker posted that video of uh midweek where with with kj hamler running around guys and jahan dotson who's ridiculously smooth by the way just watching him change directions is, is crazy the, the the biggest thing that i took away from that justin shorter made a really nice catch down the field and then you know he came out he celebrated and and that's not something you really saw from him all that much he was a quiet confident kid and that's fine but at the same time, you want your number one receiver to get in somebody's face and to go with that. And we haven't seen enough of that from Justin Shorter, in my opinion. And from talking to people in the program, that's that's one thing that they've wanted to see out of him in the last uh, year since he started you know, getting a little bit healthier. Came on at the end of the season, did some nice things in bowl practices. They see him making strides, but it's it's not that uh, immediate impact guy that uh, we thought he was. And, and of course, go back to the injury that that hampered some things, but still. Uh, really excited to see what he can do. I still think the potential is there for him to have a, a productive season as well. We'll see what it is. The expectations are higher for him uh, coming in with his uh, with his obvious pedigree. Yeah, and going back to that uh, that video clip that that Parker posted. Wow, Jahan Dotson looked really special out there. I know it's practice clips, but that's stuff that that you can translate to games. The way a guy his downfield approach, his route running. I mean, he's a natural. He's a natural. Yeah. Yeah. Jahan Dotson uh, looks like he is going to be ready to roll full throttle. And I think, you know, that's the question here at receiver is you feel really good about Hamler um, and what he's going to be able to do in his second year as as in that lineup. But uh, I think, you know, Jahan Dotson is something you can probably hang your hat on right now. A guy you can count on for the next few years if he's healthy. The rest of it, that's going to get worked out. You've reported this week. That could mean another veteran coming in. We know George Campbell's coming in from Florida State. A guy who's on his fifth year of eligibility. So this receiver group, uh, as much as we're trying to figure out about it and, and kind of dictate where Justin Shoulder is, it is not a finished, complete group at this point. Uh, it's it's the complexion will look different when this team is going into camp in August. Yeah, Dunmore showing up this summer. T.J. Jones and another guy at Penn State, hopeful to get on board. Weston Carr from Azusa Pacific uh, practiced that very much, uh, very many times before the the podcast, as as Tyler will. Will attest to, but he was an All-American Division II, 168 catches in three years. And this is a guy, we talked about grad transfers last week, still looking at receivers, maybe maybe along the offensive line. From talking to people in the program, it, it's not so much the guy that's coming from the Division I program to transfer to Penn State because you can't offer, offer them the opportunity to start right away, uh, more, more so on the offensive line. But somebody mentioned to me this week, hey, it's about finding that, that guy that wants to come up, increase his exposure, find his way into the NFL uh, you know, by being at Penn State, whereas he wouldn't have gotten that opportunity at his previous uh, stop. Weston Carr fits that to a T. He's a guy that's been amazingly productive, kind of tailed off last year due to a hamstring injury. He said he was limited to red zone work over the second half of the season. Still caught 12 touchdown passes, and is a guy that's been incredibly productive. Penn State brought him in for an official visit this week. He's, at, I believe he's at Kentucky as we speak, but could see a decision out of him in the, in the near future. I like where Penn State stands going into to that choice, but really could 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 do a lot for Penn State. I mean, he's he's not a. I mean, you look at uh, you expect a D two guy and maybe be a slot guy or something like that. 6'2", 200 pounds, runs very well, uh, you know, caught a lot of balls, caught a lot of touchdowns. I think he's 20-some touchdowns in three years. So um, just uh, I talked to him the other night. He, he's, he's Austin Carr's little brother who's with the Saints and, and played at Northwestern. I think there's a lot to like, and with a, no, a little to no-risk situation like, uh, like Penn State's in right now, it'd be a great get in my opinion. Yeah, quite the quite the story with with him and his brother Austin. Obviously, going from walk on to to Big Ten's leading receiver during his career at Northwestern. And, and I uh, and I'll and I'll get in here and I'll thank Tyler. He did all the background work. I was playing basketball <laughs> last week when I found out Weston Carr was on campus. I said, "Hey, can you do me a favor and get all this stuff together and write the actually write this story for me?" So he he stepped up to the plate. So I appreciate that. Thanks for letting me have the byline. I appreciate it. Um, but I, I think when it comes to the, these two potential transfers. Could you get two guys at the opposite end of the spectrum in their career? You got George Campbell, you know, who was a, a, a top 25 prospect coming out of high school, a five-star guy who went to Florida State, all those expectations. And 
I think he had what less fewer than 300 receiving yards during his time in Tallahassee. And then you've got Carr, who did not have any scholarship offers to play FBS football coming out of high school. Went to a Division II school, redshirted there, grinded his way to become one of the top, most productive receivers in Division II. And here they are, all things being equal, with one year to play college football. If those paths cross at Penn State, um, that'll be an interesting story to dig into. And quite frankly, I may have just given myself a story idea. So uh, let's bookmark that. Perfect. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you can get your story ideas from yourself instead of me just having to call you up and say, "Hey, do this." Uh, anyway, no, I'm really. I'm curious about Weston Carr, I, and I've said it before. I'm, I'm sort of anxious about George Campbell and what he can bring to it. We know the physical aspect of it and everything like that, but hasn't caught the ball for Florida State. It's kind of the opposite with Weston Carr. You've got a guy that's coming from a lower level, looking for a little bit of exposure. He told me that he was planning on going into the draft after his junior year just to uh, get out of there and, and, and go on with the next step. And I think Penn State provides him an opportunity to get out and get what he wants in that exposure, and we'll see what happens there. But I do expect a decision from him coming up, um, and, and, and I think it, you know, I think it's going to be Penn State right now, but he's still visiting Kentucky, checking out some other schools as well, so we'll see what happens. Penn State did get a commitment in the class of 2020 this week. Big Golden Achumba from uh, DeMatha down in, in the D.C. area. This kid is is freaking huge, man. I mean, he's uh, 6'3", 6'4", 320 pounds. He's been any, I think he's been listed anywhere from 280 to 360. So uh, we've got him at 320 pounds. This, this guy is just, he's huge. He's going to be a guard. I don't think there's any doubt about where he projects at the next level. Uh, just a physical straight ahead blocker uh, can move people out of the way and we'll see what happens with uh, with his development but I think the the staff is pretty high on his upside in a class that's going to have a lot of offensive linemen yeah and and a guy who's within a program in Maryland that Penn State is continuously very interested in because the math Catholic is is one of those that keeps turning out the power five prospects Shane Simmons is from there uh, obviously Mark Allen is from there uh, and and now we're gonna see a, another wave um, I, I am interested to see what happens down there in Maryland this is the third commitment f- for Penn State down there and, and all three of those guys are considered top 15 players in the state when you look at 247 composite um, Maryland's an interesting place in this recruiting trail because I think there is a lot of skepticism on, on what Maryland's going to accomplish. But in the case of the Matha, they've got their former head coach there on the staff. There's just there's an obvious uh, line of, of, of connection there. And you've got you know Golden Ochumba. You've got uh, a running back and, and Marshawn Lloyd at the same school. And then you've got Koziah Izzard, who, who puts Penn State in, in his top group earlier this week. So uh, it's a place that you're going to keep wanting to go back to that well. And you'd like to think that Golden will be saying very good things about Penn State for the next several months um, while he's down there. But I think Maryland in general, uh, it's hard to, to figure out what to make of this. And I know this particular commitment probably really stung in the Terrapins football fan community uh, because you know they have a lot of high hopes. And whenever they get these new coaching staffs, you know this one it feels especially in particular they've got the expectations that they're, they're going to be able to kind of raise that barrier around this state. Something that they just not have not have been able to do consistently, um, and you know, obviously the jury's out right now. And Penn State is kind of exploiting that terrain yet again. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, they got Nick Cross, which I think was a statement. Uh, you know, it was kind of, you know, it was a saga at the end of the signing period, but still they got him, and that's what matters. So we'll see what happens. They've got Jordan White committed. He's uh, he's at Dematha as well as an offensive interior offensive lineman, could be a defensive tackle as well. So. They've got some pull. I just don't know that it's the immediate uh, big splash pull that you you would think uh, coming in with a guy like Loxley with his background. I don't think the St. Francis kids are you know all that high on Maryland right now, and, and, and a lot of that Maryland recruiting is is going into these private schools. St. Francis has blown up. St. John's has you know really gone to to the next level. And they have, by the way just hired uh, Keith Goganis, former Penn State defense. Excuse me former Penn State linebacker as their defensive coordinator was previously at IMG. Um, so you, you go into these big schools like that, and I don't know that Maryland has the uh, the, the public school. Maryland has the pool to, for some of these guys. And truthfully, some of these 2020 kids were, I think, already over Maryland by the time that Mike Loxley got here. So we'll see what happens with those guys down the road. But uh, Penn State striking a blow in their, uh, in their efforts so far in, in Maryland in 2020, no doubt about that. Um, bunch of new offers this week. I'm sure you, you've tracked them all, Tyler. Um, there's been uh, easily over a dozen. Penn State hosted a, a fairly big junior day uh, over the weekend, offered Zariah Fisher from Aliquippa, 
linebacker, probably a defensive end in the long run, but uh, another Pennsylvania offer. Nick Turner came up from Louisiana, safety. That kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, another three-star kid, Bengali Kamara from Ohio, sort of said Penn State, you know, kind of set the standard for him. And then a couple other Ohio kids and defensive tackle, Ty Hamilton, offensive tackle, Ben Rather, and linebacker Torrance Davis, all of which were on campus the week before for their mini Ohio Junior Day. So what's Penn State doing right now? They are going through their board. They're, uh, you know, when you see these offers go out in waves like we did, I think it was uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, I saw just a bunch of them pop up on, on Twitter or whatnot. Penn State will go into their recruiting meetings. They'll have these guys that they want to offer. They'll get signed off by the rest of the staff and James Franklin, and then they'll go out and offer these kids. And that's why you see these batch rankings, or excuse me, these batch offers go out. So really interesting to see uh, where Penn State's looking. You see a lot of uh, defensive tackles, uh, defensive line, athletic defensive linemen like Ty Hamilton, uh, like Brandon Taylor, who visited a couple of weeks ago as well. Still going after linebackers. Torrance Davis is a linebacker. Bengali Kamara is a linebacker. And then, of course, offensive tackle remains a priority for this uh, cycle. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting to see, you know, really quickly last weekend, four guys who were on campus on Saturday get offers by the end of the weekend. Um, now, visits are always happening on college campuses, and a lot more kids go home without an offer from that team than the kids who, who get to send that tweet out and say they're blessed to, to be on that, that, that target board. Nick Turner is one that me to me that stands out. A kid coming up from New Orleans. Uh, I'm not really sure if he was on a, a you know a university tour and he was going to a bunch of schools uh, and and one fell swoop on a spring break trip or whatnot. But State College, uh, Pennsylvania, is a pretty remote location to get to from New Orleans. Uh, you know, a guy that that as of right now the, the rankings aren't reflecting him as a major player to know. You know, he's he's barely inside the top 1,000 in in, in the 24/7 ranking. But you know, look, look, look at the offers that are starting to build up. He's a guy that just recently ran a 4.48 40-yard dash at the opening's New Orleans regional event. That clearly turned some heads. And you no, know, it's interesting. He's got Pennsylvania. He's got Penn State. He's got Texas Tech, um, and he's got Virginia as his Power Five offers. So not really developing at, 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 into a high-level uh, recruitment yet. But Nick Turner, to me, is is one that popped up because of where he's from, and it is interesting. A lot of people out there. Uh, where are the offers in Pennsylvania? We've now seen back-to-back weekends where a Pennsylvania kid uh, gets that offer. Nick Dawkins, uh, you know, to close out March, the, uh, offensive lineman. Um, and then here we go, a, a, another offensive lineman. Um, I'm sorry, linebacker. Um, Sean, I'm forgetting the name. From Zariah now. Fisher. Zariah Fisher. That, that's an easy name to forget right now. But Pennsylvania board's building a little bit here all of a sudden in 2020, which I think is notable. Yeah, there's something to it, and, and our 2021 rankings will come out next week on 24-7 Sports, and I uh, can't, can't throw them out there yet, but Pennsylvania it, pretty well loaded in 2021, at least what, compared to what we've seen in the last couple of cycles. Uh, a couple other visitors over the weekend, Olaf Fashanu was up, Michael Carmody, two top, uh, top-notch top offensive tackle prospects for Penn State. Cody Simon's an interesting one. You wrote about Simon last week and talked about him on the podcast just it's so you know it's it's my nature to look at a kid from St. Peter's Prep and say he's not going to Penn State, especially one whose brother is already at Notre Dame. Of course, Rich Hansen, the the, the head coach at St. Peter's Prep, uh, really no secret he's a Notre Dame uh, supporter. Uh, in that, in, you can go to our message board and hash that out for a couple pages if you want to talk about that. Um, but uh, it, it's just an interesting thing because you hear about Cody Simon, you hear a kid that wants to blaze his own trail, and I'll believe it when I see it. I guess I could say it like that where Penn State really made a really good impression on him. Yeah, sure, and, and that's, that's great. And, and I think that the trick is, does he come back again? And, and how soon does he come back? Because, um, you know, he's a guy who's made visits elsewhere. But, you know, you, you keep thinking he's going to circle back to, to Notre Dame at the end of the day, whether it's for another visit or eventually for a commitment. And, and yeah, I'm wired like you. I'm someone who's from New Jersey. I'm someone who spent a few years trying to recruit players in the state of New Jersey. And I know full well, you know, how, how, how tough that can be uh, when, when you're looking at St. Peter's Prep and, and, and where those guys end up, and uh, I think ultimately, um, you know, to get him back on campus, you know, that that's a good thing. That, that's an important thing, and and gives him more perspective. And I think at this point for Penn State with Simon, um, you know, he's a name. He's a name that that we're going to keep on that radar. But I'm with you. I'm, I'm not really going to uh, you know fully buy into the fact that he won't end up with South Bend. Uh, but this kid is, is his own man, as they say, and, and he'll have a chance to make his own choice. You'd hope. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, a couple of top 2021s in Lorenzo Styles and Elliot Donald, the nephew of Aaron Donald, uh, of course, with the Rams, former Pittsburgh defensive tackle. Uh, Elliot Donald's a really good one. And he's he's going to, I think, when these rankings come out, I think he's going to be one of the, the highest ranked kids in Pennsylvania. The name doesn't hurt, but this kid can also play. Uh, moving on, Wednesday, Penn State hosted Diamante Tram. Uh, and I went through that name very quickly because I know I messed it up. The running back board, very mixed right now. We, we, you know, we came into the cycle thinking that Marshawn Lloyd and Jalen Berger and uh, Chris Tyree would be, you know, Penn State would probably land one of those three. So far, it doesn't look like that. Um, you know, Chris Tyree is probably going to get back for a visit here soon. But at the same time, very mixed all over the place. Ohio has a couple of very talented backs. Uh, Jutan McLean is one of those guys. And Michael Drennan's been on campus a couple times. Trianum uh, came in on Wednesday, was impressed with what he saw. So the, the options are sort of getting out there. Penn State uh, excuse me, offered a couple of, of, of national kids this week, expanding that offer board. And, it, and it's funny because we were talking to Cider on Wednesday night, and he seemed to be confident that because it's Penn State, they're going to end up with a really good back. And I, I kind of feel the same way. They're going to end up with a really good back. No idea who it is right now. But I think they're going to end up with a really good back in this class. And it's tough to recruit uh, coming off of a two-back class and Noah Kane and Devin Ford. But I think they'll, they'll be fine in that aspect. Just probably not who we expected them to, to, to land at the outset of this cycle. Yeah, and, and that's the nature of the business, right? I mean, again, going back to Noah Kane this time last year, who the heck thought that he would be in Happy Valley as a freshman? Uh, it just you, know, you never know when these names are going to surface. But I, I will agree. I think that's going to be the challenge here is, you know, having the conversation and say, yeah, we just signed two of the top 10 running back prospects in the country. Here's why you should follow them to campus. And and by the way, Ricky Slade's going to be a junior next year in, in 2020. You know, no one's going anywhere from this group, uh, barring any unforeseen circumstances. So that's tricky, but I think the best running backs in the country – they don't really concern themselves with who's already on the campus. At least, you know, that that's the vibe you can get. You know that they're that they are scouting the depth charts. You know that they're aware of it. But these guys who, who are really of that mindset, they're going to be, you know, Heisman Trophy candidates and they've got the offers and the recruiting clout to, to show that off. A lot of times they'll just say, hey, I'll go and take my chances. It, it's what you see at Alabama every year. It's, it's Georgia has a good thing going. And I think Penn State is, is really very much on that upper echelon. And you know what, what else won't hurt that cause, Sean? If Miles Sanders somehow sneaks his way in, into round number one um, at the NFL draft, imagine the publicity that Penn State will be able to produce with the recruiting graphics on social media about having you know, back-to-back first-round picks. And as of right now, Sure sounds like Miles Sanders is going to be one of the top one, two, or three running backs off the board. So either way, even if it's not a first-round pick, you've got a nice thing going. I know a lot of the names of the past, which you heard Cider reference, there's a lot of, a lot of history at running back, but we're talking about 15, 16, 17-year-olds. The names that are going to resonate them are Miles Sanders and, of course, Saquon Barkley, and and that really does help. Well, he nailed it. I mean, he was talking about the draft, and we're we're talking about recruiting right now. But I mean, he said that Saquon made Penn State sexy again. I mean, for a running hey, that back. was the exact and, phrase. And you've yep. always had, you know, you've had great backs that have come through here. You've had really good backs that have flown under the radar as well. But nobody really captured, uh, you know, the nation like Barkley. Nobody really did it like Barkley, and nobody's going to do it like Barkley's. But you've got guys that think they can do it like Barkley. So I think that's probably the the point to get away from that. So, like I said. Confident Penn State lands a good back. Uh, don't know who it is right now, which is a small detail that we're going to have to work on. But still, um, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic that's come up with the running back board. Uh, you know, what's interesting to me, Penn State probably going to take a punter as a scholarship guy in a 2020 class. And I know that doesn't sound uh, interesting, and you've probably shut us off by now if you hear us talking about punter recruiting, but it's 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 interesting to me, damn it. So, uh, we'll, we'll, you know, they, they they hosted Sam Johnson from Alabama this week. Kai Kroger was in the weekend before from Illinois. These are two top five punters in the country, uh, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Corey Lewis, a 6'2", 270-pound Juco punter that they had on campus on Wednesday. Really excited about this guy. Haven't watched his film. No other reason he's 6'2", 270, and a punter. Um, so he's not quite the guy that Miami signed last year, but, uh, they'll, they'll take it. We'll see what's up with him. But I think that's interesting because you're talking about numbers and obviously, you know, Penn state is they're in a position where they can take 25 or, or possibly a little bit more. So you're going to see expansive numbers. And I think that's one reason you're seeing a lot of these offers that have gone out. 
positions that you're looking at. Of course, uh, you know, the, the numbers at linebacker, we've talked about maybe taking four linebackers, maybe taking six offensive linemen, three receivers, and, and mixing it up from there. But uh, punter is, is a spot where you're going to have to replace, and I think you're going to have to replace him with the scholarship guy. Um, you know, no disrespect to the walk-ons that are on campus, but uh, when Blake Gillikin goes, you want to have a guy in place. Yeah, this is the time where you you know apply that scholarship. You try to find the best punter in your opinion coming out of high school in the country, and and you know if everything goes according to plan, he'll be your starter for the next three or four years. The question here is, that I really want to know: Did Blake Gillikin make the punting position sexy in Happy Valley? Because you know that that could weigh heavily on the recruiting trail. Uh, we know what Barkley did for the running back position, and I know you're the president of the Blake Gillikin fan club uh, among Penn State beat reporters. So. Uh, it'll be interesting, but that, he's going to leave some big shoes to fill. I think we all anticipate a, a, a strong season for Blake, a bounce back season in some ways. Uh, but but when he's gone, you know, you sometimes don't realize how good you've got it at special teams, especially at college, until you experience that precipitous fall at the position. They avoided that at kicker last year with Jake Pinniger. You want to avoid it again next year at punter. Well, the, the, this, the Penn State fans have also seen the complete opposite of that. And by the way, yes, he did bring Sexy back to punting. Most of it was <laughs> hair-related, but we'll, that's neither here nor there. But uh, Penn State was so bad punting before he got here. And just to see the difference that he's made in the last couple of years, and, and you'd like for that to live on. Joe Loring said that they're going to recruit the best specialists in the country to come to Penn State, and we'll see if that uh, comes to fruition. But uh, I think they'll be – you know. The, the, their specialist camp is coming up on June 1st. It's going to be heavily populated because they, you know, a lot of these punters and, and punter and kicker uh, recruiting is a completely different ball game. A lot of these guys that are top ranked don't even have an offer right now. They need to find out where the scholarships are going to be able to come from. And Penn State is one of those spots in 2020 that's a very attractive position for, for a specialist. And I think they'll, they'll land a top one. Very quickly, some quick hitters to, to take you out of here. I got a new crystal ball in for R.J. Adams, offensive lineman from Woodbridge, Virginia. He's going to be on campus soon. A May 2nd decision date coming up for Aaron Parks. You wrote about this uh, late in the week. Is a guy that Penn State's been leading on the crystal ball for. He's been visiting a couple of other places, but you still got to feel good if you're Penn State. Yeah, uh, and, and I think ultimately when you look at Elsa, who's coming in here, you got Landon Tengwall on the list, right? and that, that perks my interest. He's a guy who was playing receiver at the end of, uh, at the end of middle school, went through a tremendously amazing uh, growth spurt that, that I need to write about at length at some point. Um, but he is somebody, I think, coming back to Penn State, if I'm not mistaken, he was their first offensive line offer in the 2021 class, and um, you know I think that'll be really interesting. He's on campus uh, with Fadil Diggs. Isaiah Rakes, a couple uh, alignment out of New Jersey uh, that have Penn State offers and, and are considering their options and, and you know entering a, a key stretch as 2020 recruits. So New Jersey's a common theme, Sean. I will be heading that way back to the homeland for the opening regional at the Jets facilities on Sunday. Going to see a bunch of uh, potential Penn State players. It's a place where in the past I've seen Saquon Barkley and Taquan Roberson and and, and the list goes on and on of guys who've ended up, you know, Micah Parsons, who've ended up at Penn State, who've, who've gone through that camp. So excited to get get back to New Jersey for the coverage. I know Brian Doan will be there as well. Yes, uh, a tremendous amount of coverage, I'm sure, coming your way from Tyler, from Doan, uh, from those other guys in Jersey. Of course, uh, another big visit weekend to follow on on uh, Lions247.com. A couple of kids coming up from Virginia, from Virginia, Kane Barong, a tight end from, uh, from Georgia that you have written about as well. So... A lot to read this weekend. We'll get you into the weekend. We appreciate you following along with us from Lions 24-7 Podcast. I'm Sean Fitz. He's Tyler Donahue. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.